Welcome to Embers and Wind. Are you feeling a calling to serve? What if answering this calling unleashes from deep within you leadership potential? I'm your podcast host, Keith Weedman. Blended three decades experience with knowledge from multiple disciplines to unleash hidden potential in others. In this weekly podcast, my distinguished guests and I will share what fuels us and how we serve. You will feel a gentle wind on the embers of service that glow within you. You will receive kindling for your capabilities and knowledge to build skills. You can utilize this gentle wind to ignite the kindling. You will be guided to do this for people you lead and serve. You can apply what you learn with people you love. Get ready to feel the gentle wind. Today's guest is Mark Pillar. He went to high school in Gary, Indiana. He graduated from the University of Evansville and was commissioned as second lieutenant through the Air Force ROTC. After completing pilot training, he was assigned to Warfare Squadron in Vietnam and later in Thailand, where he flew over 90 combat missions. Returning to the States, he was stationed at Grissom Air Force Base in Indiana. In 1974, he married Linda Huntman. In 1978, he separated from active duty and joined the Air Force Reserves in Grissom. Additionally, in 1978, he was hired as a pilot for Delta Airlines. He flew domestically and internationally for Delta and flew all over the world with the Air Force. He participated in Desert Shield, Desert Storm, Deny Flight, and many other military campaigns. His many awards and decorations include the Air Force Distinguished Service Medal, the Distinguished Flying Cross, the Presidential Unit Citation, and the Air Medal. Between the Air Force and Delta, he's flied over 23,000 flying hours. He and his wife moved to Columbus, Indiana in 1991. He's a 32nd degree Mason, president of the Columbus, Indiana Board of Aviation Commissioners, currently serves and is past president of the Columbus, Indiana Philharmonic Board of Directors, where he also sings in the chorus, is a founding member of, a founding board member of the Indiana Health Fund, is a member of several local veterans groups, is a mentor for the Bartholomew County Veterans Court, and is treasurer of Priori of the Holy Sepulchre Chapter of the Sovereign Military Order of the Temple of Jerusalem. He and his wife have two grown children, Matt Pillar, his wife Megan, Lacey, and her husband Matt Gobert. The Goberts have three young daughters. The title of this episode is Hey Fly Guy. Please join me in welcoming Mark Pillar to the Embers and Wind. Welcome, Mark. Hi, Keith. How you doing? I'm doing good. Mark, where were you on 9-11? Well, as luck or unluck would have it, I was at off at Air Force Base. That was my first day there as the reserve advisor to the commander of United States Strategic Command. And we were starting a five-day exercise, worldwide exercise for Strategic Command, where we would do a war game uh, where it would start out sort of small, couple in, in, indescript and, and fictitious 
countries would attack each other and it would basically escalate over the term of the five days that there was potential for a nuclear war. And that's what Strategic Command was in charge of all the nuclear uh, weapons in the United States, uh, the submarines and their, their missiles, uh, the, uh, the B-52 bombers and, and their missiles and bombs, and then the uh, ICBMs, the intercontinental ballistic missiles that came out of the silos. So that's what we were doing at that time and ended up being with President Bush that day as he came to uh, STRATCOM. Thank you. As you look back now on 9-11, what moment stands out for you now? So we had started the exercise about 6.30 in the morning. We were getting briefings on simulated things that were happening and weather briefings and intelligence briefings. We were 40 feet underground in a nuclear-hardened bunker. And there was a staff that was two floors above us that was feeding this, us this information so that we could make intelligent decisions on what the next step would be for the United States and, and advise the president on what to do. So we were in the middle of this exercise and one of the guys uh, upstairs phoned down to Admiral Meese, who is the commander of Strategic Command, and said, hey, sir, there's something going on I think you ought to see. And we have this projection screen in front of us. It's, it's actually six, five feet by five feet screens that can either be one screen or you can compartmentalize them into five different screens. So he said, hey, sir, you need to look at this. And so Admiral Me said, okay, put it up on screen one. So we switched to screen one and we saw the first uh, tower uh, on fire and listened to the news broadcast that said a plane had gone in. And of course, we're being a pilot. I mean, there's not a cloud in the sky. And so you think that certainly air traffic control would not have vectored this airplane into the, the tower. Probably the guy had a heart attack or something like that and inadvertently. And at the time, we didn't know what kind of airplane that was. We thought it was you know, maybe a private airplane, a small Cessna or something like that. And so as we were watching the first tower burn, we saw the second airplane, which obviously was a commercial jetliner. We saw that go right into the building and the fire shoot out the other end. And that changed everything. Admiral Meese uh, turned and said, that's no accident, we're under attack. Send the message, messages out to cancel the exercise and we'll go into real world operations. And we stayed in real world operations for about the next three or four days, um, mainly to try and figure out where the attack was coming from and what their next steps were and what can we do to prevent them from succeeding. Because as you know, the second airplane went in, the third airplane went into the Pentagon and the fourth airplane that was headed for the Capitol building the passengers took over that airplane and it, it crashed in Pennsylvania. Thank you, Mark. Now I've heard you speak on a much longer version of this same conversation to the Rotary Club in Columbus, Indiana. And I'll bet you've done a similar speech multiple times. Would you be willing to share this with others now? And who would you be willing to share it with? 
Be honest with you, I share it with everyone. I've been all over the state giving this presentation mm -hmm. over the last close to 20 years. When I lived through that, I got with a, a, a young man that was sort of my administrative assistant. And I said, let's put a, a briefing together. This was probably a couple of years after 9-11. Mm -hmm. I said, let's, let's put a, a PowerPoint presentation together because I think the American people would greatly appreciate this message that they have the knowledge that I can give them the knowledge that the government and the military wasn't just running around with their hair on fire saying the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Mm -hmm. We were taking definitive actions and measures to prevent the next attack, wherever mm -hmm. that might be. And we were looking at all sorts of things. There were all kinds of people that didn't have the best intentions and mm -hmm. they called in all sorts of threats. There was a bomb in an airplane, in a Delta airplane, uh, parked on the, the ramp at the Cleveland airport. Uh, there were bomb threats against the Capitol building. There were bomb threats all over DC. There was a bomb threat on the uh, John Hancock building in uh, Chicago. There was a bomb threat on the Transamerica building in San Francisco. There was a fleet of rider trucks that had explosives in them that were headed toward another entity, uh, military group in, in Cheyenne Mountain. And they were gonna blow that up. There was a group of four prop dusters uh, coming out of Mexico that were gonna spread anthrax all over Phoenix and kill all the people there. Wow. So we had to check into, we had to check out all those threats and send somebody to respond to those. Took a, a lot of work, a lot of manpower, a lot of time to mm -hmm. check all of those out because you can't afford to say, oh, that's a bunch of uh, baloney. We're not gonna look at that and then have something happen. So we're trying to stay one step ahead of whatever is coming mm -hmm. next. And I think, I, I think that's a, a very uh, important message for the American people to know that mm -hmm. their government and their military was doing everything they could to defend the United States of America as we took an oath to defend the United States of America from all enemies, foreign and domestic. Thank you for sharing that. In the military, you clearly had a commitment to service and that commitment to service did not end when you retired. Tell us about how you transitioned into, into what you do now. And I tell people this as I get asked this question. I, so I spent 37 years serving my country and now I spend a lot of my time serving my community, uh, stuff that I could not do before. You know, I, was, I had two jobs that took me away from home, wherever home mm -hmm. was. I, of course, I flew for Delta, so I was away from home then. And the places I was stationed in the military uh, took me away from home then. I stayed up at Grissom for about 22 years, active and reserve. And for part of that time, from 74 to about 80 or 82, I lived just outside the base. So I could do my job at Grissom and go home at night. When I went to, to uh, Delta, that was different. I was, I was gone for two days, three days, four days, whatever. So once I retired from Delta first in 2005, and that freed up some time, 
and then when I retired from the reserve in 2008, that freed up a lot more time. And as more time became free, I became more involved in the community. And as a retiree, I'm able to do what I want to do rather than what somebody else wants me to do. So I saw places that, that I had interests in and became involved. And by getting involved in some places, other people say, hmm, maybe we could use him in a good way at this place, like the Board of Aviation Commissioners. Merrill Linup said, wow, here I've got a guy that's a retired airline pilot that knows uh, maybe just a little bit about aviation since he's mm-hmm. got 23,000 hours of flying. Yes. Uh, hey, Mark, would you be interested in serving on the Board of Aviation Commissioners? And mm-hmm. I, I said, yes. And eventually got uh, elected uh, by the board members to be the, the president. And I'm, I think I'm starting my third year as uh, board president. Now, after college, you went through a period of time where you made a commitment through ROTC to stay with the Air Force. And then that time reached an end and you chose to stay longer. Why'd you choose to stay longer? Um, service to my country, uh, for mm-hmm. one thing. I, was, I had a very good, a very solid active duty career. Mm-hmm. I had done a lot of things. I have achieved many things that officers senior to me had not achieved. I had a very good record. I saw a lot of my friends uh, the airlines were hiring like crazy uh, mm-hmm. back then, back in 78, as they are now. Mm-hmm. And my ambition was to be a lieutenant colonel uh, squadron commander in the Air Force. That was my goal. So the airlines started hiring. And I saw a lot of my buddies getting out and getting with the airlines. And I knew that the pay was going to be a whole heck of a lot better in the airlines. And I said, you know what? I said, I will kick myself for the rest of my life if I don't try this. It's one of those things in the back of your mind. Could I have done that? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. So I, I, I got off active duty and got in the Air Force Reserve. And that was in August of 78. And I got hired by Delta in November of 78 and started classes in December of 78. But I always felt that need uh, to, to serve. And mm-hmm. it ended up, I had the, just the best of both worlds because I was flying in the Air Force Reserve and, and doing all that kind of stuff. And I started out as a flight engineer. That was the mm-hmm. entry level back then on a 727. So I wasn't particularly flying a whole lot with Delta Airlines as a pilot. I was flying mm-hmm as a flight engineer at the time. So I could keep up my my flying skills by flying in the reserve whenever they needed me. When I look at you, Mark, I think of the word humility. Please share what position you retired at when you're in the Air Force. I got promoted three grades above my capabilities. And I tell people all the time, I said, it's, it's one of those deals that the harder you work, the luckier you get. There are certain points in, in your career in the Air Force where you need to step out of your comfort zone if you mm-hmm. want to progress. And I, I did that. I, I stepped into my comfort zone and I, I was really good aircraft commander. 
then I became uh, a flight instructor, then I became an evaluator. Uh, so I gave other guys check rides and men and women check rides. And then it, it's just a, a step, you know, if you do this, then you can do that. And if you do that, then you can do something else. And so it just progressed to where uh, I ended up uh, retiring as a, a two-star major general. Thank you for sharing that. So for, for Tire Guy, you're incredibly active in this community of Columbus, Indiana. So what drives your level of engagement? That is a great question. I'll go back to church first, because mm -hmm. basically from 91 till when I retired, when, I, when we moved to Columbus in 91, mm -hmm. if it wasn't church or my kids, I pretty much wasn't involved. I mean, I was there, but very few people knew me outside of church or something that my, my kids did. So at church, I'm a reader. Uh, I, I read the epistles. You know, we, we take turns. It's like every six weeks or something. Mm -hmm. We've got a lay person that reads the epistles mm -hmm. and then the pastor reads the gospel. Well, I uh, actually had taken a class over because my son was taking a class uh, mm -hmm. over at uh, Trinity University in uh, Columbus, Ohio. And I sat in on this class where the teacher, who was a pastor, instructed us on how to read the epistle. Now, don't just read the words. Put, your, put yourself into it. Make people, what your goal is to make the people take the bulletin and put it down and listen to you read to them. So I got that, and I, mm -hmm. I'm pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. So Alice Curry was the executive director of the Philharmonic, mm -hmm. and uh, every year, well, they had started the salute concert like maybe three or four years earlier. And they had somebody come in. I think Tim Grimm was the first reader that they had. And he's mm -hmm. a professional actor. And he and his wife live over in Brown County. Mm -hmm. So Alice said, wow, I like the way Mark reads. Let me see if I can get him to come and read these letters and put the emotion in them and have a different perspective because these letters are from service men and women from Bartholomew County who were killed in action. Mm -hmm. Mark's got that perspective. Let me see if I can get him to, to read the letters. So that's how I got started with mm -hmm. the Philharmonic. And then eventually it just morphed into, hey, would you like to be on the board of directors? And so I, I went on the board of directors and, and did that for several years. And we've got term limits there, which is I think is a good thing. I was president for three years and then I went off the board for the man mandatory one year, but it's it's something I enjoy. I love the music. I've always been involved in music. I actually had a very small music scholarship in college wow. uh, to play uh, in the band and the orchestra. So that was something I was, I was passionate about. And I'll, I'll take that over into Rotary. Mm -hmm. I spoke at Rotary a couple of times. Uh, one was the 9-11 briefing and one was was something else that I had a PowerPoint presentation on. And I saw all these incredibly talented people in mm -hmm. Columbus Rotary Club. Uh, you know, the mayor was there, the superintendent of schools, the, the head of the Philharmonic, the head of uh, the Viz Center, the head of the Chamber of Cups. I mean, there was this incredible pool of leadership that, I mean, mm -hmm. it was like an all-star team, I think, of, of leadership there. And then we got into the 
you know, service before self that I learned about there. I mean, I already did that. I mean, that was one of our common threads in the military mm -hmm. was service before self. And I mm -hmm. saw that in Rotary. And I said, wow, this is, this is a chance for me to get uh -huh. involved with an organization that is serving the community. Doesn't matter who I am. I can serve the community. I, I had a lot of times in the military where guys yeah. would say, Colonel, how come you're doing this? I said, because I can. This needs to be done. I've got a pair of hands. I can do it just, I can do it like the sergeant does, like the captain does, like the lieutenant mm -hmm. does. I'm not here just to sit on a pedestal. I'm, I'm here to help. So that's what I saw in Rotary. And, mm -hmm. and that's what really pulled me into Rotary. Rotary is filled with leaders, and among the leaders, there's a few that become president. And then among the few that become president, there's a few that stay active after they serve as president. Please tell us about your leadership journey in Rotary. Sure. Well, I never joined Rotary to become president. That was never a goal. That was, I was very fortunate to be considered for that position. Mm -hmm. had great role models. So I got into Rotary and Alice Curry was my sponsor. And Bob Stewart was in Rotary uh, at the time. Fred Armstrong was in Rotary at the time. I mean, just great, great people. And so Alice got me into Rotary and I was very appreciative of that. And then she was supposed to be president one of the years. And that's the year she came down with cancer. And mm -hmm. she said, I just, can't do this. Right. And so we had two past presidents step up and say, I'll take six months and Joe, you take six months. And that was uh, Joe Smith and Pete King. They did the six months each. Mm -hmm. But the thing that they did, when you're the Rotary president, you get to pick, uh, if you will, what charity we primarily support that year. Mm -hmm. and what programs we try to promote that year as president. Those guys stuck with Alice's picks, what Alice wanted to do. This is what Alice wanted to do. And so that's what we did. I mean, right. that to me was the epitome of leadership. You know, it's mm -hmm. not about me. It's about Alice and her being, she was supposed to be the president this year and she couldn't do it. So we did it and we carried out Alice's programs. Alice passed that year. And at the end of the year, the club president gets a plaque with a gavel on it. Thank you for your service during the year. They had the plaque made and they gave it to Alice's husband as if she had been president that year. That showed me leadership that just was way above and beyond what anyone expected. They had asked me to be president a, a year earlier. I said, I can't do that because I was involved with a group study exchange with Rotary, where I led a team of five non-Rotarians, young business people that we were trying to get them involved in Rotary. It was the goal of that. And they came from the Southern part of the state, The south of Indianapolis, which is our Rotary mm -hmm. District. So I led this team to Australia for four weeks. And we went around 
to different towns in Australia and stayed with Rotarians wherever we went mm -hmm. and would give our little briefing to the Rotary clubs. And the young people would say, okay, here's what I do in my job in the United States. And then we would take tours and they would see how their job is done in Australia. So they would exchange these ideas. And it was, it was a great learning experience for them. It was a wonderful experience for me. Met, met some great people, friends mm -hmm. that, that I've kept through the years that uh, have come to my house in, in Columbus uh -huh. and stayed yes. with us. And I've met uh -huh. others in, in other places and you know uh -huh. they've been on they'd be on holiday and okay, we'll meet in New York and we'll spend a couple of days together mm -hmm. and do that kind of thing. So the year after you you do that, you have a commitment to go around to the other rotary clubs in the district and say, here's what we did, here's what we learned. And we would go as a team and present, give our PowerPoint presentation. So I knew I couldn't be president that year because I'd be away right. so much. I said, but, you know, I will consider it the next year. And I, I guess everybody else got sick and decided they, they couldn't do it that year. So, so I got to be president that year. And that was very rewarding. And it's, you got all that great leadership out there, but they're, yes. they're still looking to you to, to yes. lead the way. And they do a pretty good job of following. And you do a pretty good job of influence, I might add. Uh, thanks. I like it. I like the people. You know, you do what you like to do. And, and I love the people. So that's why yeah. I continue to do it. And then the, the other thing I noticed was when I looked at the volunteers who are on the board of directors for Columbus Indiana Philharmonic, I found a whole bunch of Rotarians in the room. I believe you had something to do with that too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, the philosophy on the board at the mm -hmm. Philharmonic is what are our needs? Do we need, a, we need some marketing help? We need some expertise. We need some mm -hmm. uh, IT expertise. Uh, we need some programming expertise. So we sort of ask people to fit mm -hmm. our needs on the board at the time. There was a time when I was the president of the Philharmonic board mm -hmm. that 75% of our board members were Rotarians. Wow. Yeah. I wasn't pretty proud of it. I was damn proud of that. Yeah. That's the kind of leadership we have in, in Rotary. Yes. And it translates, it branches out into the community. And yes, they serve the community in so many ways as, as you do. Thank you. I appreciate that. Coming from you means a lot. Now, there's somebody listening to this conversation that wants to stay connected with you, Mark. How can they stay connected with you? It's not like I've got a website or anything, but I'm sort of visible in the community. I have no problem giving out my email, my cell phone number. Email is mpillar, P-I-L-L-A-R, 23 at hotmail.com. And my cell phone number is 317-514-7323. And I'll talk, I'll listen. And when I used to teach leadership in the Air Force Reserve, uh, I would say, I would tell the men and women that one of the best things a leader does is listen. Yes. Don't be thinking about what you're gonna say next because that person in front of you needs all your attention right now at that time. 
and you need to do what you can to help them do what they're doing or to prevent them to do from doing <laughs> what they're thinking about doing. So yes. listen the heck up and let, let them finish what they're saying before you open your mouth. Yes. The and there's somebody, there's somebody listening right now who lives in another state and they heard you offer that you travel in Indiana. Do you ever travel out of state? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I have given that the brief, the 9-11 thing all over the state, and I don't accept any money for it. Uh, you know, if there's a meal involved, I'll <laughs> sure as hell eat. But uh, no, there's there's no fee for that. It's part of my my service to the state of Indiana. And, That's awesome. And it's the, the message. It's not me. It's the message. And I think the American people need to understand how committed their government was and their military yes. was to protecting them on 9-11. Thank you for sharing that. And do you have a benevolent call to action you want to invite listener to take? I would say figure out what your passion is. Not everything can be your passion, but you can serve. You can serve others. And heaven knows there's, there's enough need out there whether it's Love Chapel, whether it's ASAP, whether it's the Philharmonic, mm -hmm. whether it's Rotary, you don't have to lead all of them, but you can participate and you can help. Mm -hmm. You can go out as president of the Rotary, you can go out and plant trees with the other Rotarians. Right. It's okay. Yes. Thank you very much, Mark. And thank you so much for joining this conversation. Look forward to seeing you next week. All right. Thanks a lot, Keith. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's episode of Embers and Wind. If you enjoyed today, please come back next week. Please also share this episode with a friend. If you've not already subscribed to Embers and Wind, rated this podcast, and written a review, please do this now. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, you can reach me directly at embersandwind.net. Thank you again for joining us. 